In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about the longing for fertility affected and delayed by breast cancer treatment and one woman's conversations with her someday child to cope with the grief of uncertainty. I've said this a few times on this podcast. To me, the effects that cancer can have on a person's reproductive health are among the hardest aspects of being diagnosed young. When cancer threatens to choose before you have a chance to choose for yourself, whether you want to have biological children or not, is a profound robbery. An aspect of this that I think is especially challenging is that for those diagnosed at a stage when getting to a place of no evidence of disease in the body is the goal, cancer is presented as simply a little detour on the road of life. The message is put your head down, spend several months to a year in treatment, yes, but then you're right back on your way. Good as new, normal again. When you're just starting out in cancer, you have no idea that some side effects will stretch well beyond that treatment portion. I don't say this to scare anyone or to sound all doom and gloom. Rather, I say it because it's an aspect that I find again and again fouls people up once treatment ends. In fact, many report that all the stuff that comes after treatment is in a lot of ways harder than following the treatment course itself. Some arrive after treatment to the spot where they expected to pick up their awesome life again and discover, oh no, wait. They learn they need to be on hormone-suppressing drugs for five to 10 years, for example. They start doing the math and wonder, if my fertility is even still viable at this point, do I have five to 10 years to wait? People who have not experienced cancer also face lots of difficult decisions and questions when deciding to start a family, of course, but they are not faced with the truly impossible unknowns like, do I have time to stall chemo to do egg harvesting? Or I only just started dating this person. How do I decide about fertility treatments now? Or should I pause potentially life-saving hormone suppression for a few years to try for a pregnancy? And what will pregnancy mean for my long-term survival? In some ways, going through cancer treatment is the easy part because the path is more or less clear and you have a guide or a team of guides leading you down this path. But when it comes to making post-treatment decisions for fertility, the path is much more murky and it comes down to criteria that often falls decidedly in the column of quality of life and you're the only one who can decide what you need to do. My guest today is Tracy Ward. Tracy joins me today from the United Kingdom, where she is a Reiki practitioner, mentor, life coach, space holder, and deep listener. Tracy was diagnosed at 36 with stage two hormone positive breast cancer. And when I asked Tracy to describe herself, she said, people often say I'm a breath of fresh air. 
I'm always somehow making people laugh. Those closest to me say it's one of the things I'm most known for. I'm deeply kind and thoughtful while simultaneously being incredibly strong, even if that strength feels challenging sometimes and hard to access. I love that so much. And in the year that I've come to know Tracy myself, I would wholeheartedly agree. Welcome to the burn, Tracy. Oh, thank you, April. It is so good to be here. Oh, that was just, oh, thank you. I'm already feeling emotional. (laughs) Well, buckle up, girl. (laughs) Here we go, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for being here. So today you're here to read a piece you wrote for Wildfire Magazine's 2020 family issue. Mm. And this was an issue in which we explored what it means to a family when breast cancer is in the mix. And some of those families don't yet hold children within them. Some are holding precious placeholders in the hopes for a post-cancer baby. And this was the case for you when you wrote the story we'll hear today. Ultimately, this is the story of one woman asking what her fertility path will ultimately reveal and does she have the strength to hang in for the waiting. Today's story is called Dear Spirit Baby. And after you read, Tracy, we'll talk about where you are now in your experience and how writing helped you along the way. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Tracy, I'll let you take it away. Amazing. Thank you, April. Dear Spirit Baby, we've been on a journey, you and me. I know you are around me. You have been for a very long time, years in fact. We were so close only to have been told not yet, possibly three years, but can't be certain the oncologist said. I'll be honest, when I was diagnosed, my first reaction was the undeniable sadness that my excitement to bring you into this world was denied. You have breast cancer. Okay, but can I have a baby? We were meant to start trying in a few months. As much as getting cancer shocked the hell out of me, at that moment, I felt like I was already mourning the birth of you being delayed. And even that wasn't certain at that point. My mind was in overdrive with all the questions. Would I be infertile after all my treatment? By the time there may be a chance of having a child, will I be too old? Will I need a surrogate if I have eggs frozen? How many rounds of IVF? Tell me, please. Once you have had your surgery and consultation with the assisted conception unit, we can give you a better idea of future planning. Me. Hmm, okay, right, so I need to take the surgery, find out the damage, and then meet with the ACU. Simple, right? Blood tests are in, and heading in for my first internal scan to check my ovaries. All dignity left at the hospital. If it's not my boobs, it's my vagina, and not quite the McDreamy doctor you see on TV, right? Nonetheless, he poked and then he spoke. Your infertility is unfortunately super low for your age, and there aren't that many follicles hanging around, so we need to act quickly and double up on all hormone injections. Catch-22, really, because my tumor, which I just had removed, feeds off estrogen. But here we go. Let's put a ton more in and add medication to block it from reaching where my tumor was taken out. The hormone imbalance was more than an imbalance. It was literally a turmoil roller coaster ride. Emotions were high is an understatement. Not to mention, my body is still recovering from my soccer boob. Soccer boob. Now there's another story for another time. Two rounds of IVF, they said. It's too risky, just one round. During IVF, you were always around. 
I could feel you even stronger than ever, giving me strength that no matter what, you are here and will be birthed at some point, whether IVF or natural. You were showing me the signs and telling me it's okay. Every day and night, we would send Reiki energy, healing, strength, and unconditional love like any parent would when they would first find out they were pregnant. I watched each woman come out of the theater on egg collection day, usually around six of us, one after the other, all drugged up speaking gook. And once the drugs wore off, our partners were all back at the hospital with our egg numbers. Some women were 30 eggs, some 19, some 25, and me, three. Three for the first round and five for the second round. Quality versus quantity, they kept telling me. Sitting in the waiting area with those women was somewhat the hardest part because they would all speak about how excited they were for the next phase of embryo transfer a month later. When are you thinking, Tracy, they would ask. Throat, gulp. I guess two years. I wasn't even certain then. But with a brave smile, I affirmed that these babies were going to go chill for a while first and while literally chill on ice. So it was as if I went through the process with no reward, if that makes sense. But my eggies and now six babies, embryos, are waiting patiently for their time, waiting to choose me as their mother. Even though there is still the risk of infertility following tamoxifen, I believe your soul will be here with us. It's not a matter of how, just a matter of when. And well, today as I sit here and write to you, my dear spirit child, I have tears that fall down my cheeks. My heart wishes you were here in my life already, but I know and you know that the time will be so perfect when it does come. And while some days are harder than others, these triggers are a reminder from you to me that your soul or souls will be but a magical gift to this earth. And I look forward to the day you get to choose us as your parents. We, your amazing father and I, are awaiting you patiently, dear ones. Love you unconditionally, your mother. Oh, Tracy, that was beautiful. Cheapest. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for reading your story. We're going to take oh. a quick break here, let you catch your breath. And when we come back, you and I will chat more about the unique pain that comes from holding a space for a someday child. Hello, my name is Audrey Ingamon, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer during COVID at 37 years old. April's writing workshop has been better than therapy or any other support group I have gone to. Everyone shares themselves and you really feel a sense of community and healing. Sometimes people's writing makes me laugh and other times it makes me cry. I am so thankful I found this outlet as I love to write. I was even published in the magazine and was thrilled to call myself a published writer. I am forever changed because of these writing workshops and the magazine. All right. Thank you so much, Audrey. Thank you for that love. All right, we're back from the break. We heard a beautiful story, a beautiful letter from a mom. And I will call her a mom, even though as she wrote this with empty arms and an empty womb, because I think of mothering as as much a mindset and an emotional decision as it is actually having a child to literally mother. 
So yes, a letter from a mother to her someday child. Tracy, thank you again for that powerful writing. Oh, you're so welcome, April. I hadn't read it in quite a while, actually, and it definitely brought up all the emotions. And I just hope those emotions, you know, inspire and bring hope and joy to others. Yes, absolutely. Well, even I listening to you, um, and as you know, I've read your letter many times. I had goosebumps listening to it. Mm. And I think there is a incredible power to the letter form in mm-hmm. any kind of um, in any kind of writing, but particularly in writing something so personal and so yeah. deeply important as writing to this child. Can you talk a little bit about what it meant to you to write it in this form? Did you set out to write a letter, or did it just kind of pour out? How did this happen for you? <laughs> Um, it actually just kind of poured out, to be honest. It was a moment or a day where I can't remember the circumstance, but I got triggered by someone. I mean, with my age, there are quite a few friends and family who are falling pregnant, well, back then. And um, it just triggered me. And one afternoon, I was crying my eyes out to the point where I just picked up my pen and I just started writing and it all just flowed out straight from the heart and it naturally flowed out into a letter, you know, as if to say to my spirit children that, okay, you know, I'm here, I'm listening. These are the feelings that are coming up. Um, So, yeah, it just flowed out in a moment of real, raw, and truthful emotion. Yes. I think it can be really, really grounding too to Mm. take that trigger, you know, as you said, and I know exactly what you're talking about when everyone else around you is becoming pregnant, Mm -hmm. celebrating milestones, and you feel like you're in limbo, you're paused. And so to take all those big feelings and then channel them in writing, but also to anchor them in this potential reader or, you know, recipient, whether, whether that person even exists or even ever gets to hear it, it's still so grounding to -hmm. just pour it out that way. I often suggest people write, you know, I, I call it the power of the unsent letter because even like I said, if you never intend to send it, it just gives you that channel that you need. Um, yeah. So I, yes. Thank you. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So I know you're a Reiki practitioner and you're a life coach. Um, and you shared in this piece, a a part that I really want to take a moment about, which was the emotional roller coaster of hormone suppression. Mm -hmm. I find that so many women find that to be so unexpectedly hard. I don't think we talk very much about being thrown into medical menopause when you're going through all the other aspects of treatment. And Mm -hmm. I know you work with other women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. I just wonder if you can talk a little bit about that particular piece and how, how to stay grounded through that. And if you have any advice for that. Sure. Um, I mean, hormonal imbalance and that roller coaster, emotional roller coaster, is 
never easy. It's almost um, something similar, which I say, you know, for all the women or humans on um, tamoxifen. It's that tamoxanami, I call it, you know, that roller coaster up and down. And um, it's sometimes so easy to get caught in the thick of it um, where you lose yourself a little. And um, for me, yes, Reiki energy is an absolute go-to um, energy healing. It grounds you. It harmonizes the energy within your body. Um, even if those hormone imbalances is due to um, the medical implications or, you know, the hormone injections we're being pumped with every month. Um, there's something about energy healing that flows through you and regulates your energy, whether within you or whether medically. And so I use Reiki energy as a form to rich. Well, I use Reiki energy every day on myself or whether it's on a client, but to keep that grounding within me and to activate the lightness within myself and the healing within my cells, you know, that visualization, um, even if you're going through treatment, it's that visualizing the cells and your body and everything healing and becoming light activated into that deep cellular healing. Um, but alongside the uh, Reiki energy is little things like taking a walk in nature, you know, waking up and being present with having your cup of tea. Um, and when you are in the midst of a emotional turmoil is also a bit of a self-compassion exercise for yourself to really just put your hand on your heart and say, okay, Tracy, I love you. And I'm listening, you know, I love you. And I'm listening. Mm -hmm. This is what you're going through right now. And you will get through this next little phase. You know, that self-compassion is so, so important. Sorry, April, you were going to say something. Well, no, it's just that listening part. You know, I think we get really, um, I don't want to say used to, I'm not exactly sure what the the right term is, but we, from the moment are diagnosed, we turn our bodies, our minds, everything, the whole package over to a medical team. And then we have to slowly bring it back <laughs> to the self, particularly after um, treatment ends and you might be in another phase of, of survivorship where you aren't seeing necessarily your oncology team anymore. And, and you have to learn again to trust yourself. And yeah. like you're saying, listen to yourself and feel mm. some agency over an out of control situation. Something that I like to call, you know, the listening is body wisdom, right? It's listening to your body and becoming so in tune that you just know these feelings. And another simple exercise is, you know, every morning before I, well, I wake up and I've got a little post note next to my bed and it's basically says, what does your heart need right now? You know, how is your body feeling? And it just gives me that little prompt 
to scan my body and go, oh, do you know what? My hips are feeling a bit stiff, right? I need to go for a bit of a walk. Or, And eventually it becomes so a part of you that the body wisdom kicks in and you become so in tune and your intuition with your body just grows and deepens. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed when I hear things like this that sound so obvious and yet they aren't like we, we don't come with these owner manuals, you know, that yeah, exactly. Like, hey, check in. Yeah. Oh, that was I like beautiful. that. An owner manual. There you go. Right. Please. Totally. Well, so I like what you said about, um, you know, Reiki energy being accompanied by little things like a walk in the forest or an intentional, um, or just bringing a mindfulness to your cup of tea or, you know, the, I'm drinking coffee right now as we talk, you know, and just feeling that warmth, you know, and, and knowing I'm nurturing myself. So Mm -hmm. I wonder, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of writing as a healing art. Does writing play a role in your survivorship now and and in your practice? Oh, it plays a huge role. And that's all because of you. <laughs> Honestly, I can say from the, <laughs> the depths of my heart, I never used to like writing. And I came across your workshops, your writing workshops, and remember the day I was like, can we use the time to make it fit with the UK? (laughs) Never look back. And ever since then, honestly, to actually devote the time every week for myself to sit with myself and release everything that's without me even realizing it, been sitting inside to actually get it out on paper or laptop, however you want to do it. Huge release. Um, quite, even though very, yes, emotional and you know what, I'm all for that because with the light, you need the dark and with the dark, you need the light for it to process everything. And even though it was emotional, it was quite magical and it's gotten me to the point where I am now. Um, and it's just a part of my life now, you know, so, and it's actually with those emotional raw moments where I go, yes, let's let's start um, typing away or writing away. And if there's one piece of advice I can say is I would recommend it to anybody and everybody, whether you have cancer or not, you know, um, it's just such a beautiful process to deepen within yourself and to get to know yourself a bit better as well. Mm -hmm. The listening part, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so it's been um, a little over a year since I've, well, almost a year since I published your piece. I'm not exactly sure when you wrote it, but can you give us an update on where you are now in your survivorship? Yes, sure. So obviously back then I um, was uncertain with uh, many situations, um, fertility included. And then I was on tamoxifen. And as we all know, tamoxifen is... Uh, not fun. And unfortunately, I had a fair few side effects to the point where I was in and out of hospital, having extra scans, um, oncologists thinking I had, you know, cancer in various parts of the body and blood clots, I mean, you name it, um, to the point where the oncologist said, okay, hang on a second, we need to take you off tamoxifen, give your body a break and see if it actually is the drug. 
Um, so, of course, I agreed. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> um, took a break. And that was, I'd say, September last year, um, October. And then after two, three weeks, it's as if a veil had been lifted and my body just started, I want to say, coming back down to earth. You know, everything started recollaborating again and working together. And um, yes, there was that thing in the back of my mind, oh, I'm not on tamoxifen, you know, there's always the catch-22. But with that, I just felt a lot more myself. And so my oncologist said, right, we're going to put you back onto tamoxifen. And I was a bit in two minds. And um, I then just said, well, I know we're maybe six months early, but could I not just stay off tamoxifen, let it wash out of my system and potentially start trying for a family if that was even possible? So I got the go ahead, um, it washed out of my system and we started trying in December, January, January this year. And we tried for quite a while naturally and um, it got to the point where the oncologist said, look, it's not working, go for the IVF, you've got your embryos. And it's funny because I actually said to um, my fiance, I feel like those spirit babies when I wrote the piece, those were always going to be our babies. Um, and so we started the process in July this year which is also very much a roller coaster. And after months and months of having negative tests and negative tests, um, we went through the IVF. And um, if you could see my face now with the tears <laughs> starting to form, I can happily say that I am now pregnant. And uh, it's still somewhat very surreal to even believe because. What we get told is what we get told, but it wasn't a case of how, it was a case of when. And I truly hope that this message and today's recording brings just a little bit of hope for all of you out there because this little baby, the spirit baby, is a miracle and it's living proof to bring hope for others, honestly. And that's what I intend to do further than this. So, yeah, very excited. <laughs> I am so happy for you, Tracy. Oh. I wish people could see both of us right now. I'm just like ear to ear smiling for you. I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you, April. I mean, you know the journey, right? <laughs> I do. I do. And knowing your news, you know, I, I'm apologizing in retrospect to the listeners who didn't already know, you know, but listening to you read, knowing that this spirit baby has finally, you know, made a step closer to being earthbound for you. Exactly. It's really beautiful to hear you read this story. And I'm so <laughs> glad that you wrote it then to have now and have this, um, recording of your of how you felt then because it's so it's hard to hold on to you know even when you're living right in the midst of it and it feels like everything things are constantly changing and it's hard to it's hard to keep track of um 
even, you know, had this not been the case for you, had you decided not to, you know, go forward with a pregnancy or something like that, I still think it's an important marking of a time you were at in your you know, cancer experience. So I want to thank you so much, Tracy, for being here, for sharing your big news with us um, and talking about these ups and downs. It's, It's like I said, you know, in the beginning that there's so much more than just the cancer itself. There's Mm -hmm. so much more to this life post diagnosis, so many different paths. And I just really want to thank you for, illuminating what this particular piece was for you, because I know there are a lot of women out there where you were then, you know, hoping beyond hope that, Mm -hmm. that they can welcome a child and not sure how that's going to be, you know, all the things you said, you know, is it going to be my body? Is it going to be someone else's body? Like, how is this going to happen? Um, but thank you. And thank you for, for bringing that hope to us. Oh, thank you, April. Honestly, it's been an absolute absolute pleasure just being here and reading out my piece it's always an honor um and as you say it is just bringing that little bit of hope um for others who are listening and you know what even coming to the side of the story and being pregnant it's also you know brought up a whole nother um world of other things that come with um having a child after breast cancer, um, which has opened my eyes even more, things that aren't there, that should be there, you know, for support for all of us. Um, So, yeah, there's, I can feel that this spirit baby is bringing so much more um, than the miracle. And yeah, thank you so much for having me today. It's been amazing. Absolutely. Well, and keep writing, you know, like you just said, it's not, it's never ending. There's just more chapters, more layers to onion, however you want to put it. And, um, and writing can really help you continue to listen to that inner voice. Exactly. Yeah. So my guest today was Tracy Ward. Her piece was called Dear Spirit Baby that you can find in the 2020 family issue of Wildfire Magazine. Tracy, where can people find you online? Sure. So you can find me on um, Instagram um, and my handle is at Tracy Lee Ward and that's Tracy without an E um, or my website, which is www.tracyleeward.com. And honestly, my heart, my door, my DMs are always open, um, even if you just want to have a chat, even if it's for the story um, and something you're going through similar, I'm always here for you. Mm. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you. Well, I'm April Stearns. You've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's story. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story, and don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. So here's today's writing prompt, dear listener. I want you to, as always, set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. 
Here's the prompt. It's about the power of the unsent letter. I want you to think about the story, the person, the thing that you need to direct a letter to. And I want you to begin it with what I haven't yet told you is. What I haven't yet told you is. Eight minutes, right without stopping. See what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.